and come forward and uh, distribute the bread. When we come to the communion table, we're reminded by Paul to consider ourselves. The scripture says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. And so we're encouraged to examine ourselves then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Because if we eat this bread or drink this cup, even though it is just a symbol, it's the symbol that's important. This symbol of, of receiving bread and drinking juice is a symbol of the reality of Christ's work on our behalf and our connection to that work. Uh, if we are unfaithful to the Lord uh, and we presume on his goodness without repenting, then we are profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. So I'd urge you, in the moments before we celebrate, to take time to repent and to confess any sins which may be on your account against God. He is merciful and forgives all. Why would we not clear the way? Uh, if we are holding on to sin of which we're unwilling to repent, we are in rebellion. And so I'd encourage you to let the elements pass, to let the bread and the juice go, and go and make it right, and then come back and celebrate next month. There's no shame in that. In fact, I think it's to your glory, to God's joy, to do that. But if you are a believer and you're here uh, wondering, should I partake? I am a sinner. I am unworthy. We sang this morning, it's all because of Jesus we're alive. It's his work on our behalf that raises us from the grave. And so this celebration should be one of joy in the face of our own failure. This should be a time of celebration and joy uh, as we confess our guilt and receive his goodness on our behalf. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and distribute the bread.
I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember the Lord's sacrifice together. Paul says in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember him together. For as often, he says, as you eat this bread 
and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to pray for our uh, offering collection now, uh, for the main offering. And uh, just thank God for the confidence that we have in the gospel and the goodness of his sacrifice. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate together your work for us. Father, we confess that we are a family in Christ. We are united as members of your body of which you are the universal head. You are the sovereign Lord of the church. And we thank you that each and every one of us as parts is to be connected to you. And we thank you that we have all that we need from you. We are able, Father, to be free, as our verse said this morning, from the love of money because you will always be with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you that no sin can separate us from you because you have washed them all clean by your grace. Father, we pray then, in light of this truth, in light of the fact that we have been cleansed and purified by the blood of your Son, we pray that we ought to be the kind of people who respond in gratitude to all that you do by living holy lives filled with joy and delight in you and others. We thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy toward us. We pray your blessing on this offering that we give to you. Father, we don't make your kingdom go by giving you gifts. You bless us. You call us to trust you with what you've blessed us with. And then you make it great because you are great. We pray your blessing on the remainder of our service, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. The ushers will come forward and collect your tithes and offerings. Six and under are dismissed to praise, kid. And if you would open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be finishing off Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. I can tell you that many texts and much chat and emails and then many conversations this morning went into making sure there were no mistakes in timing in the worship service this morning. Um, and I spearheaded every bit of it. 
and then neglected to read Brian's very careful, helpful sheet that he gives out every week that have all the songs on it. Um, so, what is it? Someone has said that men make plans and God laughs. It doesn't mean we shouldn't plan. Uh, we should certainly uh, plan and plan carefully. Um, I want to thank Sherry. Sherry, you made everything look beautiful in here this morning. Thank you for that. It looks good in here. Um, Sherry is now duly embarrassed. You're supposed to give honor where honor is due, so thank you for that. Um, if you turn in your Bible to Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 15, we're going to be finishing off um, our, our study of these, these three knowledges that Paul is talking about um, as he urges us to a life of godliness and celebrating the reality of the gospel in our lives. So uh, we're going to read uh, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, and then to the end. So if you would read with me. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Will you pray with me as we turn to God's word? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to read your words again. Words concerning your work in the world through your Son, Jesus. And then words which are given power and life by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the one who wrote them. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, and we thank you that we have all that we need for life and godliness in your word. Father, we pray that we would be established in your word as we come here this morning. Father, you are the one who leads and guides our steps. You are the one who points out the path on which we're to walk. You are the one who sets knowledge and goodness before us. And Father, I pray that as we finish out looking at these three ways in which we are to know you and to have our hearts enlightened and to see your glory and then to be motivated and challenged and driven and drawn on into greater and greater godliness. 
We pray, Father, that we would see that the strength and the power is not supplied by us, but comes from your great might working toward us and in us and through us. And yet, we are called to be strong and to know your great might and to live in it. Father, as we see your word this morning, I pray that that we would be encouraged to lay hold of all that you are doing in us. May we live these truths out in our daily lives. May we seek to know what you have shown us, that we might glorify you in a way that causes others to come to know you. We pray this, Lord, in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, as we come to this text this morning, I am reminded of the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a song that's on the radio, um, and you hear it over and over. You've probably heard it five or six times already this season. Um, A song celebrating the things which Jesus would do sung to Mary, encouraging her that that the things which her child is going to do will be overwhelming and great and would build her faith and change the world. But there is something which Mary did not know, and I'd like to highlight that from Luke chapter 1 as we focus on this last and third element of the knowledge that Paul desires that we know. Luke chapter 1, verse 30 says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Picking up in verse 34, It says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? She is questioning, and not, I believe, in a sinful way, but questioning, how is this possible? I have never been with a man, therefore how can I bear this son, this Messiah, which you are saying will will come from me? How is this possible? And the answer which the angel will give, I believe, hooks into this third knowledge that we're going to look at this morning. The answer that the angel gives essentially is, Mary, you need to know God. You need to understand the greatness and the power of God and how he will work in your life. Look at verse 35. It says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, 
in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Now look at verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. The angel's message is basically this. You see this as an impossible task. You see something which cannot possibly be. But the impossible plus the power of God becomes extremely possible. Very likely. Most probable to happen. Mary's response is one which we should all model in every area of our lives. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now here is the question that I think this example challenges us with as we come to our text this morning. Did this work because Mary was a believer or did God choose to work through her because she was a believer? Was it Mary's great faith in the power of God or was it God's great power working through a woman of faith? I believe that God's word to us today points out that God's desire is that our devotion to Him and our knowledge of Him is to be the fuel by which we trust in the working of His great power so that we are ready to do great works of faith through His mighty power because we are ready and we believe in what He desires to do in us and will do if we rightly know Him. There are three knowledges which we've looked at which are to fuel us. We see in verse 18, we looked at this two weeks ago, we see God's end or God's goal. This is the hope to which He has called us. A hope which will not disappoint us, the hope of eternal life, the hope of eternal fellowship with Him, glorying in the presence of God. That was two weeks ago. And then last week, we talked about God's great affection toward us. Paul prayed that we would know what are the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. And that is that God, when he works through believers, in believers to make them righteous through Christ, and then he receives them to himself as a people for his own possession, he counts himself rich. And this morning we see God's power to bring it to pass in verse 19. Before we really jump into this, let me just share something. J.I. Packer asks the question in his book, Knowing God, if God is the same God today as he was back in the Bible, why are there not more miracles happening? Why? are there not as many miracles happening? And J.I. Packer challenges us to understand that there were years, sometimes hundreds of years, between the great miraculous events in the Bible. And it's only when we come to the life of Moses and the life of Elijah and the life of Jesus 
trailing off then in the life of Paul, that, do, that we see these large clusters of miraculous events happening close together. In fact, many of the miracles happened to different people at different times with long spans of time in between, where there were just long periods of daily life. Where Moses was thirsty and there was no water. And he may have hit the rock as much as he wanted and no water came out, right? There were 33 long years of Jesus' life before his miraculous ministry where nothing miraculous happened at all. And it was just daily life. And there were many times where Paul, who was able to heal people, to raise someone from the dead by the power of God working through him, there were many times, we see one in the scriptures, where he had to leave a missionary friend Trophimus behind because he was sick. The miracles in the Bible are there to let us know that the same God who did miracles then is alive and is working in our hearts and our lives today, even if our lives are not characterized, characterized by what we would call the miraculous. Okay, that's the, the qualification that I bring to all that I'm about to say, because I do believe that God does desire to do great and mighty things through us, some of which you could call the miraculous, which people would call miraculous, and others which Paul would call miraculous, that we might just consider spiritual truths or ordinary, okay? How great is God's might toward us? Paul desires that we know, in verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. That's what he desires that we know. What I think we've got going on here is a preacher getting carried away as he writes. He's not saying anything wrong, but he's practicing word piling, okay? What Paul is doing in this verse is he is gathering up all the words that he can possibly think of to apply to what he desires that the Ephesians know. Chris, can you make that go away? Thank you. I love that. Thank you. But I, it's big and it's shiny and it's behind me. Thank you. I just noticed it there. Paul proceeds here as he, as he is summing up. He's going to drive to the end of, of chapter 1 and finish off this thought of what he wants believers to know. And he's collecting all the synonyms that he can as he describes how the great power of God operates according to the strength of his might. When I translated this in getting ready to, 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 to preach Ephesians, um, I translated this phrase this way. This is starting at, at the beginning of 19. It's all of verse 19. I translate it this way. That we would know the exceeding greatness of his power toward we who believe according to the working of the power of his might. Lots of power words clumped together. Paul uses a word for power, which is strength or potential. Perhaps what is lying behind the socket in your house is you plug in something in your hair dryer or your vacuum or your toaster starts. There's energy there. And then he talks about working, which is operating ability, the ability to accomplish tasks. He uses a word which is, describes resistance or controlling power. So if, if a wrestler is, is, is 
working against his opponent and constraining or restraining or battling. And then there is iscus, which is vital power, muscular force, bodily strength, soldier-style power. He's piling up words here so that we might know the exceeding greatness of his power toward we who believe. The vital power, the muscular force shows up in Ephesians 6.10 in what could quite possibly be my favorite verse in the entire Bible. I found such strength and comfort and encouragement in Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How great is God's power toward us? God's power towards believers cannot be measured in watts. It cannot be quantified in gigs. You cannot measure it in ergs. There is no unit of measurement which can account for how much of God's power flows toward the believer. Paul says it is immeasurably great. Immeasurably great. Imagine the full force of God's strength and grace and energy coming at you. Now you may think that's a negative image at first, because we think the full force of God's strength would be judgment, right? But this is the full force of God's strength in grace. Imagine a firefighter carrying a baby out of a burning building. He will not drop this child. He will save. It is this degree of power which is what it takes to save a human soul from its sin. It is this power which is what is required to transform a human being from a sinner into a saint. It's this power which is what is required to change a heart which is fallen into a heart which is inclined toward God and reflects his image and his glory in the world. And as Paul goes on to say, it is no less than the very power that God used to restore the most precious being in the universe to himself. We'll talk about that in just a second as we look in verse 20. What does God do for believers in Christ? He takes our sinfulness and gives us Christ's righteousness. Some people have called this the great exchange, where God takes all of the sinfulness of all humanity and places it on Christ, and he forgives all of humanity, potentially. All sins covered in the death of Christ. And if we will put our faith and trust in Jesus and say, I need my sins cleansed, I need the righteousness that comes by faith in order to stand in the presence of God, God will give that to us. He will exchange our sinfulness for his righteousness. God crushes Jesus on our behalf. He pays our penalty that we may go free. How does God's power work in the life of Jesus? Because this is the power that is being displayed toward us right now. Paul prays that we know, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. 
according to the working of his great might. So keeping in step with the working of God's great might toward us, verse 20, that he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead, God crushed Jesus. Jesus was made sin for us. In his humanity, he was put to death. His deity was was never destroyed. His, His deity remained. He remained living. But God made Jesus to be exceedingly sinful. He put all of humanity's sins on him and made him the object of complete and total hatred and crushed him to nothing. And then he raised him from the dead. What power must it take to put all of our sins and knowing my own sins, just the sin in this room, It must be immeasurably great power. And then God raises him from the dead. So not only is there resurrection, but there is also exaltation. Look, it says that he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. These words that are used here, above all rule and authority and power, these are, um, these, these are orders of angels that exist in, in Jewish and Greek superstition. Paul is speaking to a very superstitious culture here, but what he's telling them is that when God raised up Jesus and exalted him and brought him to his right hand to sit there as supreme executive power, ruling with him, having full authority in the entire universe, he is above every other power. There is no ruler, there is no authority, there is no angelic being or demon. There is no name that is greater than the name of Jesus. He reigns above all. God did that by his power, took one whom he despised and crushed and raised him and exalted him to the highest place. Nothing is above Jesus. God the Father accomplishes this by his great might. As I was prepping last night, I had to call up Handel's Messiah on YouTube um, and listen to Isaiah 9, 6. Listen to who Jesus is predicted to be 700 years before he is born. Isaiah says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. We receive Jesus in his humanity as our son, our brother. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. How could you call this son Everlasting Father unless he is God and is equal with God, yet is separate from God and rules with God? Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and his kingdom. To establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Listen to the last phrase here. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God's great and mighty power working in Christ. That's the power that he displays towards each and every believer. Hebrews 1.8 describes what God says of his son Jesus this one singular being who is greater than all. He says in Hebrews 1.8, but of the Son, 
He, that is God the Father, says, Your throne, O God. God the Father calling the Son God. We've seen in this passage that the Father of glory, verse 17, is called the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, in Hebrews 1.8, God the Father says to the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. God has subjected all things to Jesus' feet. Subjection is not a kind, easy word. If I were to subjugate each and every one of you this morning, that would be to force you to obey, to force you into compliance. And that's what God has done with Christ. He has raised him up, seated him at his right hand, and has put everything underneath his feet. The Bible says all things are under his feet. And he gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. What is there that escapes the rulership and the power and the authority of God? There's nothing. Because all things means all things. If it takes all of this power, the power that it took to raise Jesus up and give him as head over the church to subject all things, one I ask the question, how sinful must our sinfulness be? Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, there is no casual sin. There is nothing that we can say, that's ah, no big deal. I'll just confess it later. Let us not make that mistake. And let's battle our sinfulness. But let me also say this. If all of this power is brought to bear on our sin, how driven away must our sins be? How forgiven must we be? And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, why would you not want access to this power and this grace in the presence of God? He will be merciful and gracious to you if you will just ask. He will bless you with forgiveness. Receive his grace. Okay, I want to draw all this together, share two main points of application with some sub points here. The first application is this. God's mighty and strong power is expressed in unimaginable, the word immeasurable was used in this verse, unimaginable potency to the believer. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We're called to be strong in the strength of the Lord. To be strong with the power of the, the Lord. I heard a few years ago uh, an audio message by, by a pastor and he was highlighting or calling up some things that he calls throwaway words, things that Christians say. We have, we have this language that we use, right? One of the things that we do, I want to be very careful here. Don't, don't, let me, don't, don't let this ruin you. If you pray like this, that's okay. But there's an example that he used. He said, God, people pray like this. They say, God, be with all of the missionaries. And then he said, if they are believers, no power from hell can keep God away from them. And he's assured, I will never leave them or forsake them. 
So why would we pray, God, be with the missionaries, right? It's, a, it's kind of a throwaway line. Now, don't let that, don't let, you know, if you ever stand up here and you say, and I, I do this, I say, God, be with, and then I'm like, didn't that guy say don't pray like that? Don't, don't let that trip you up, okay? It's just an example of a throwaway word. But let me, let me highlight one. And this may cut a little closer to home. But think through the, the reality of this in, in your life. We pray like this. We say, God, make me more patient. God, give me the strength to. Or we say something like, I'll do that if God gives me the ability to. Do we understand the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those of us who believe? And it's the greatness of a power that is similar to the power required to raise his son from the dead and to seat him at his throne, uh, on, at his right hand, and to submit all things to him and to give him as head of the church. This is the greatness of the power of God toward us. And we have that each and every day. His power is great toward you. Lay hold of it by faith in the truth of his word. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so I challenge you and encourage you with joy. Battle and labor in borrowed strength. The very power of God toward you. This is why we do fighter verses, folks. A verse like Romans 8.31 calling us, calling this to mind. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? His power toward us is immeasurably great. Let me challenge you. Whether you memorize a Bible verse a day, or you're working on one a month, one a week, maybe you're not reading your Bible, let me challenge you to know the Word. Believe the power is there. Act upon God's word by faith and believe that his power will be there to meet you at your need. Second, let me encourage you this. Because God's mighty and strong power is expressed in unimaginable potency to you, remember your history. In the Old Testament, they used to pile up pile of stones everywhere anything happened. Okay? We crossed the Jordan... Right? We make a pile of stones in the Jordan and on the shore. Why? So that when we walk past it years later, people will be able to say, remember what God did here. Let me encourage you to pile up stones in your life. I can remember, I've shared this with you before, we gave up our car weeks before going to seminary. We're heading off to live on faith and love and peanut butter, you know, and to study so I could become a pastor. And we had no car, and a man walked up to me at a barbecue and said, can I give you my vehicle? Not a believer. And he gave us this crazy, worn-out station wagon, which served us for almost, well, for three years. And then as soon as we moved back to New Jersey and I started a ministry, it gave out. My mom bought me a little car at a garage sale, a little tiny matchbox station wagon. It looks just like that car. And every time I see it, I am reminded of the goodness of God toward me. We go through good times and bad times. Love God enough to write the good times upon your heart so that you will not turn away or question his power toward you. 
in the bad times because bad times will come. Remember the good times and pile up stones. Let me just give you a taste of what we're going to talk about in two weeks. God's mighty and strong power is expressed in unimaginable potency to you as a believer. God has raised Jesus up from the dead, seated him at his right hand. And I want you to see something. Look at Ephesians 2, 6. Sorry, 2, 5. It says that when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In your head, you may believe that you are down here on earth, and and you are in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, don't feel like you are so far away from God that when you're in trouble, and there's temptation, and there's despair, and you're in the midst of a battle, and you're like, God, help. It's like he's like, what? No, it's more like this. God is seated on his throne, and Jesus is right there at his right hand. And you are right there next to him. And you're like, God. And he's like, what? You're right there. That's what Ephesians 2.6 and Ephesians 1.9 teach. That his power is so close to us. That's Christmas. We'll come back to that. Here's my second and final application point. God's mighty and strong power is to be seen in the church and we are his church and he is our fullness. Moses says this in Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 24, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours. We've only begun to see the greatness of God's power toward us. And if we continue by faith and we trust in God's great might and working toward us, we will see greater and greater things done yet. Isaiah 44 verse 10 says this, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. God's chosen us so that we may know and believe and understand that he is God toward us. We need to know if we are going to continue and grow in his grace. We need to know that his power and his might toward us is great. He goes on in Isaiah and he says, Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Verse 11, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior not the American government, not the military, not your job, not your 401k, not your checkbook, not your good looks, not your humor. None of this saves us. Only his grace and power toward us. I, I am the Lord, he says. Besides me, there is no savior. Verse 12, I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God. Also, henceforth, I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn back? We draw this in. God's mighty and strong power is to be seen in the church, and we are His church, 
And he is our fullness. We have been given the last verse of this passage, verse 23, sorry, verse 22 says, it says, we have been given a glorious head. The word head in ancient Greek was often used to describe a general or a sovereign commander or the highest authority. John chapter 3, verse 35 Jesus says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Now look at verse 23. He says that he's given his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are filled by him. He is our filling, but we are his fullness. Do you see what's being said here? Paul says that there is an incompleteness. Now listen to this. Listen. Because if this sermon could go wrong at any point, it's right here. So listen. There is an incompleteness here which implies no deficiency. There's an incompleteness that defines that, 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 that implies no deficiency. Look at the images in the Bible that Jesus uses to describe himself. He says, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. What is a branch without a vine? By Jesus' own image, what is a vine without branches? John 3, 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. What is a bridegroom without a bride or a bride without a groom? John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Sheep are nothing without their shepherd. But a shepherd who has no sheep not much of a shepherd, right? There is an incompleteness here expressed by Paul under the inspiration of God, which implies no deficiency in God. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Notice that the filling comes from God, comes from Jesus, without the church, without which the church is nothing. But the church is then called the fullness of Him. It is His fullness. There is no deficiency in God or our Savior. There's no lack. And so we can rightly say that God does not need anything. But He chooses to call people to Himself and to say, this is my church and this is my fullness in the world, and I fill it. There's no blasphemy here if the incompleteness is expressed by the one who completes. There's no deficiency or lack in God, but he calls his church his fullness, filled full by him. Now, final drive here. Why do I bring this up? He is our head. We are members, therefore, of his body. We are expressions of his fullness. What is then 
the expression of the authority of God in the world. Because as Hebrews says, we do not yet see all things submitted to His feet. I mean, you look out in the world and there is crime and, and we've got um, all kinds of sickness and illness and war and we do not see the nation submitted to Jesus who is, has all things submitted to Him. Where then is His authority seen? In the acts, in the obedience, in the holiness, in the devotion and in the love of His people. We are His fullness. We should then seek to live and act in such a way that people will look at His church, at this church, and say, those people are what? Are right? Are smart? Are attractive? No. They'll look at that church and they'll say, they love their Lord. They look to their head and they serve Him and honor Him. And when the commander says, love one another, they say, it's our joy and delight. We love our Lord and Savior and Master. And God's power toward us is great. And you can see it flowing through us out there in the world. As we move toward who we're going to be, we don't know who we're going to be when we leave this building yet. We're working on that, right? who we're going to be in terms of what the box surrounding us is going to be. But we do know this, that He is our head. And so we're going to be a Bible people who are called to know Him. We're going to be a servant people because are we not served well by our Father and by our Lord? Has He not served us with immeasurable power? How then should we serve others? We're going to be a holy people. His grace should inspire us each and every day to die to our sin and to ourselves and to live to Him and to live to others. Does God's heart not beat with generosity and grace toward us? We will be a generous people. We're going to be a gospel people. Sin is real and grace is free, though it costs the Son His life. God gives it abundantly and wonderful to any who ask. And He gives His strength immeasurably towards those who believe. We're going to be a missional people, loving and living with a goal to see the gospel spread throughout Salisbury, throughout the world. We're going to be a loving people, loving one another the way He has loved us in hard times and in good times. And we're going to be a people who move forward in His strength by His grace for His glory, and for His joy. How do we get there? We get there by grabbing onto this truth with white knuckles and holding on to it. His power toward us is immeasurably great. God is mighty to save. He gives us each and everything that we need when we need it. And we can live in that strength each and every day. I'm going to close in prayer. But let me just urge you, if you are here this morning and you are not a believer, God's power and strength is there to wipe away every sin, to take away every stain, to bring you into fellowship with Him. If you will receive it, He will give it to you. Let me urge you to trust in Him this morning. And if you do that, you can come and talk to me. You can talk to the elder at the door. If you're a believer this morning, I am convinced, 
I am convinced from this passage that Paul says that the key to greater growth and greater knowledge or greater godliness is knowing God's plan for us, God's love for us, and God's power toward us. And I pray that he continues to give us a spirit of wisdom and knowledge. Let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you for your abundant love and mercy and grace toward us in all things. Father, you are so good and you are kind to us. Father, we have been well served by your grace. Lord, your power and your strength toward us are immeasurable. Probably hundreds of preachers have tried to define the measurableness of your immeasurable power. And we fail. But I pray that your word would accomplish its purpose. Father, you raised Jesus from the dead by your power. You seated him next to you by your power. You submitted all things to him by your power. And now you display that power toward us in our lives. I pray that we would lay hold of this truth. That we would live in the good of it. That we would come to you for forgiveness of sins. That we would seek your strength, battling with your strength each and every day as we fight sin and we seek to love without condition those in our lives. Father, show your power through us. May we be your fullness in the world. We thank you for calling us to yourself. We pray that you do great and mighty things through us by your grace and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.